This is Security Now, Episode 11, for October 27th, 2005. WEP and MAC address filtering. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Steve yeah, Gibson. <laughs> in fact, it's clear that we're now talking about wireless security is a huge issue for people. It's it's complicated. There's a lot of acronyms, you know, sort of an acronym soup area. And and sadly, the 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 vendors of these wireless routers are doing really dumb things. I, I ran across some pages in in one book that showed the default web keys that some routers have. So they have keys that anybody who knew what they were doing could just crack right away. I just well, when I saw this, it's like, my God, these people are never going to learn. Wow. You know, it's like having you know default at you know administrative name and and username and password it's like okay that's just a bad idea and so here here they're like creating really good security or what they hope is really good security and then giving it default passwords good lord amazing (laughs) but we we, a whole ton of of people uh posted to the security now page all kinds of ideas and questions and things about about our last week topic, which was the idea of open access points. And there were a couple things that I thought we had covered that I guess we hadn't that I want to. And 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 many people were wondering about about, about MAC address filtering. But first right. of all, a question that we got several times was, what about the legal implications of leaving your access point open on purpose so that other people can use it? And I would have thought we would have talked about it, but if not, we certainly want to, because of course that's that's the huge issue is if your neighbors are using your access point, then anything they're doing which is illegal, and you might you might guess that maybe someone would tend to use somebody else's access point just specifically because of the the inherent anonymity that they're gonna get. But any traffic which is backtracked towards them is going to hit your IP address, that is the IP of the open access point, and stop there. I mean, that's the public IP for the access point. And at that point, you know, it goes wireless, and there's no way to track it beyond there. So uh, even if you want to let people use, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for being generous and letting people use your access point. You might want to think twice about it just because you'll be liable for what they do on it. Well, it's, do you know your neighbors? Or um, maybe it doesn't even matter if you know your neighbors. So, so yes, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to discourage people from being generous and sort of having this community spirit of, oh, you know, my bandwidth is, is a flat rate. I'm not paying per transfer, so I'd like to make it available. So, but again, as with so many things, as long as you know that you know the RIAA might come knocking at your door i mean and they are suing people and that you know any kind of file sharing any file downloads anyone who's like tracking malicious activity will come to the ip of your router which is the same as your access point, and stop at your location certainly something to be aware of although um, we're not legal experts so 
the, right. the, the legality of it and so forth and what, what your liability is, I would have to leave to a, to there, a there, lawyer. And, but. You know, we, we, we've talked on several previous uh, Twit episodes uh, a, f- a few months ago that there have been some strange legal judgments made, like someone got sued for using someone else's open access point. Right, right. Because he was doing it deliberately, they said, oh, well, that's a, an abuse of somebody else's computer network. It's like, oh, okay. And we well, don't know uh, yet what the upshot of that case will be, but it, yeah, it's it's you know it's kind of murky right now to be honest. We don't you know they're all the, the rule. Nobody's really codified how this whole stuff works and who's liable for what. So I guess it makes sense. There's a, there's also the other issue. Then there's a real security issue of, of an open access uh, point. Even if you're using SSL and encrypting everything you're doing, it still gives people access to your network, right? Oh, well, if it, it does, although the switch provides some protection. Now, a couple people who know a little bit more about the way Ethernet switching happens uh, took issue with my saying that the fact that you had a switch on your access point was good because it meant that your your wired network traffic would not be, got, be going out over the air. Mm-hmm. Well, that's completely true, but it turns out, and... and this is absolutely true that that there are ways to penetrate switches, and we'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes. But but when we talk about MAC address filtering, but uh, it is the case that a switch can be breached. But in general, it's also true that the wired traffic is not just being gratuitously broadcast all over the neighborhood, which is you know certainly something you want to be aware of. So, but not all. But most routers are not switches. Actually, most routers are switches. Oh, they are? Okay. Yeah. So, for example, a, a Linksys router will have a four- or eight-port switch. And so it is the, – the idea behind a switch is that that traffic is being sent to the endpoint that it's destined to, not just broadcast right. out on all the wires or out over the air. And that gives you some protection. It gives you some protection unless somebody really wanted to, to work to – to penetrate that. I guess I ought to talk briefly about how that's done. The There's something called ARP spoofing. ARP is, stands for Address Resolution Protocol. The way, the way Ethernet functions, Ethernet works on these things called MAC addresses, wh- which is the sort of the address of the physical interface. Every Ethernet card has a unique 48-bit MAC address. 24 bits is, an, is of that 48 bits, that is half of the address, 24 bits, is assigned uniquely to each manufacturer, and then they have the other 24 bits, actually it's the least significant, the right-hand 24 bits, which is a serial number which they increment uniquely for every single device they create. The idea being that, that there is no provision on the Ethernet protocol for dealing with the collision of MAC addresses. That is, two adapters, both plugged into the same Ethernet, are going to have a problem if they've got the same MAC address. Can, can, uh, address. Can, let, the, let me just kind of explain. A MAC address is a unique number assigned to your network hardware. All network interface cards, wireless adapters, wireless access points, each have supposedly a unique MAC address. Correct. And... Uh, is it guaranteed to be unique, or is it likely to be unique? Well, it's it has to be unique for an Ethernet or for a local segment of an Ethernet. That is the the all of the adapters that can see each other on the Ethernet. It has to be a unique 
MAC address. So that's how the packet knows where to go. Or Exactly. And in yeah. fact, that's where this address resolution protocol comes in. What happens is the typically the gateway machine, that, that machine that is on the connection between your local network, your LAN and the WAN or another chunk of, of LAN, when it gets a packet that's destined for inside, it sends something called an ARP broadcast, basically saying, hey, who has this IP? That is, which adapter out there is handling traffic for this IP address? Because a MAC address and an IP address are very different. The IP address, as, as we've talked about many times, is the, is the unique address for the Internet, which is different from the, the sort of like the physical hardware address, which is the MAC address. So in response to this broadcast, which all adapters receive, one of them that has that IP assigned to it says, oh, that's me. So it answers the, the request saying that my adapter is assigned to this IP. So at that point, anything listening has the, it essentially begins to build up a map, gets information about which IPs are associated with, with which MAC addresses. So this is the way that a switch then learns on which wired connections, which MAC addresses are valid, and which IPs those are associated with. Okay, now okay. this I, I'm comes... trying to follow this. It's a it's a little <laughs> complicated, folks. And I, for this is this is this is this is one of your black diamond security now podcasts for the ex- experts here. Well, there's all the details now. The, the, the question that so many people wrote in to ask about after last week was, many people said, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not using any encryption, I'm not using WEP, I'm not using WPA, but I do want security on my wireless network. So I've taken advantage of what's called MAC address filtering. On my router, I'm able to give it a a list of MAC addresses, that is the, the physical adapter, like the wireless adapter serial number that I want to allow to have used my access point, is that secure? Right. And the answer is not at all. <laughs> now, but see, this is a surprise to me because uh, pretty much every corporation does this. We did it at Tech TV. Um, the assumption being, well, by by preventing... Uh, non-registered MAC addresses from logging in were were, were secure. Uh, yep. Why is it not so? Abso- absolutely not secure. It's why not? Uh, <laughs> it seems like it would work. It's what I was referring to when I said it's just it's hard to believe that router manufacturers are offering something which is is completely bypassable. But that's what's going on. <laughs> so reason- so I just want to mention one more time so people understand. This is the setting. Uh, usually called MAC address filtering that most routers have. And what you'll do is you'll get the MAC address of all the different wireless cards that you want to allow connect to connect to your access point. And you'll enter into a, a table. And if, and if this filtering is turned on, only cards with that MAC address, in theory, will be able to log into your access point. It seems like the ultimate in security. You're, you're, it's, it's an affirmative security policy saying only these people can, can, can get in. 
Yes, it it is a feel good. Uh, <laughs> you're really you're really bumming me out here. Well, so so okay. what so what happens? Do we spoof it? How do we how do we crack that? Yes, that's the problem. Is that the MAC address is the front of every packet sent? Says it, it, it basically there's a I'm going to this MAC address from this MAC address, which means anyone with any sniffer software uh. instantly sees all the authorized MAC addresses for the wireless network. <laughs> well, not and all of them. All the active that, all the active ones. All the active ones. So they it's, watch traffic that's legitimate traffic. They capture even one packet. They've got the MAC address that they can spoof. Yes. They have a valid MAC address, which has <laughs> been authorized and recognized by the access point, and they can simply use it. <laughs> I mean, it's that bad. <laughs> you know what? That provides no security at all. So in other words, I'm a bad guy. I'm sitting outside of Big Bank Incorporated. Big Bank Incorporated believes in wireless, but believes in secure wireless and says only these MAC addresses can connect. So I just capture one packet of somebody talking to their router. I say, oh, there's their MAC address. I put in almost every program allows you to spoof MAC addresses. That's trivial. In fact, your router allows you to spoof its MAC address very often. Well, in fact, ma- many user interfaces allow you to specify <laughs> What's your a, MAC, a address? MAC address for you know whatever reason. <laughs> so, I mean, there's 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 nothing at all special about a MAC address. It's just a 48-bit serial number. Um, if now wait do- a minute though, you said that only one device can have that MAC address, so I cannot get on while that other one is on still. Well, actually, you can oh. because there's there's nothing to prevent two devices from using the same one. Th- th- that is to say, it'll be a little confusing for the other one, right. which is receiving traffic that's bound for it. But that happens all the time. <laughs> so, so if you if if you adapt or sorry adopt the MAC address of of some other machine, then It'll go to the access point. The access point checks the MAC address against its list of authorized MAC addresses, see that it's valid, and accepts the traffic from it. Wow. So, okay. So there are even... There are... Plenty of more advanced things that can be done as well. There are ways to to disassociate a, a remote machine from the access point using the wireless protocol. So... So, I mean, this is something that's been researched extensively. There are ways you can disconnect one machine and then connect yourself in. So you can knock the other guy off. The short version of this is it provides zero protection. I mean, it, it it would protect your access point from a neighbor casually connecting or maybe, as often happens, mistakenly connecting. Right, right. There, there was a true story that I heard. This is not a, not a urban legend from a security guy who went to one of his clients' homes who was complaining that something was wrong with his wireless connection. And when he looked, it had an Apple Airport SSID. Well, this this was a Windows guy, hmm. and he said, I, "You know, I've I've got a Linksys um, wireless router here, not an Apple Airport." So they unplugged his Linksys wireless router, and he stayed connected. He's still on. He was using, without knowing it, right. he was using his neighbor's wireless connection. So so then they shut his system down and reconfigured things, turned it back on. And it's like, oh, now I'm connected correctly. But then they realized they forgot to plug his router back in. Now he was using somebody else's 
wireless access point. There were several of them within radio range, and his and his system was just grabbing whatever one came along. So, I mean, there are certainly cases where where locking down and filtering MAC addresses would prevent casual misuse of your access point. And so I don't want to say it's completely useless. It, it will certainly prevent casual use, but it, it should never be confused with security. It is not security. Well, it's similar to the uh, SSID hiding that some people ad- advocate, where you hide the, the name of your router so that people don't see it. But that's, a, that's in fact, it's almost identical to that because it hides it only from those who aren't using packet sniffers, but everybody else can see it just fine. Exactly. A- anyone who wanted access to your access point would still be able to get it without any trouble at all. So we've eliminated the use of MAC address filtering, SSID hiding, and web encryption. It sounds like the only way to secure wireless networking is with WPA encryption. Well, that's really true. And what I want to do is, is for the balance of, of this second podcast about... Wireless is I want to talk about web encryption because it's again it's so tantalizing and it's it's it was the legacy encryption technology which has been obsoleted but because older equipment doesn't support the stronger WPA encryption many people are using web encryption because that's all they've got or it's there or you know. They've heard that it's not secure, but they've really never taken it very seriously. Well, and this is also, this story is really a very good object lesson in how not to design a security protocol. Well, what happened is really interesting. It was designed by the the, the WEP, W-E-P, this original encryption, was designed without consulting security people. It It was a security protocol designed by engineers who had the best of intentions, but weren't security people. It's a security so, protocol that sounded like a good idea at the time. Well, and for example, it uses a, an extremely good cipher technology called RC4. Um, that's an RSA proprietary cipher, which is, is very good for encrypting as long as you use it correctly. And that's really the key. The, the, the foundation of web encryption with this RC4 cipher is extremely strong, but it was it was used in a very bad way. For example, um, the an absolutely unbreakable encryption is something called the one-time pad. With with a one-time pad, and this was used by the U.S. military um, in early World Wars, um, and was never broken because it is unbreakable. And I, you know, I don't say that casually. I mean, really, truly unbreakable. Not like, oh, there aren't enough computer power, you know, it would take X billion, billion years. No, unbreakable. The idea is that you, you generate random numbers. And it's, now that's super critical. The numbers have to be really, truly random. Now, that's hard for a computer to do, in fact. Well, it's very hard, and in fact, back in you know World War One, it was it was the bingo bowl approach where they had a whole bunch of of letters A through Z in a big ball that rolled around, and and the cage spit one out, and they wrote this down on a pad of paper, which is why it's called a one-time pad, and then they put that ball back in, waited a minute, pulled the next one out. So they ended up with a a, a pad of paper with letters A through Z, really, really, really random. Then they mixed the message that they wanted to send with this pad. 
And in the case of mixing, for example, it, you, you would take the letter you wanted to send, you would look up the first spot on the pad, and it would be A through Z. Well, that told you how far along in the alphabet to shift the letter you wanted to send, sort of like forward. And so that would, that would convert your letter A through Z to a different alphabetic letter A through Z, having sort of rotated it forward in the alphabet by the amount specified on the pad. Well, clearly, that would create a, com a, a completely scrambled message. What's amazing is it's impossible to decrypt it. There is, there is not enough information contained in that message. Well, a short to, message. If you had a long message, eventually you'd, you'd see a uh, pattern, right? No, oh. no. Uh, oh, because you, you keep reusing, you keep changing it. Yes. Um, every, yeah, oh, ex oh, well, you, you left out a key part. Every single letter. <laughs> for, for the second letter, you use the second position in, in your one-time pad. The third letter, the, the, the third position. So there are so no repeats. Can, and and you and you never reuse uh. your one-time pad ever ever ever. Now it turns out that some of our our um, foreign adversaries also had the idea of a one-time pad. They made the mistake of reusing it. Right, and that's and how you can crack that's it. That's all it took to break right. their right. their um, in, encoding because reusing it and and comparing these encrypted messages was was essentially a huge mistake. But so the idea is when you receive this message, if you have the same one-time pad, and that, and that was the, the problem with this approach, was that once this was generated, then the, the recipient had to have an identical copy of this pad. But for example, if you were a submarine operator, before you left port, you'd get a whole, f a whole suitcase full of these one-time pad sheets, and then that's what your your decryption officer would use in order to decrypt these messages. And once used, that pad was destroyed, and it would never be used again. That's an unbreakable cryptography. I mean, truly unbreakable. Now, the reason, just as a side note, uh, the reason computers are not good at random numbers is because they use an algorithm which inevitably repeats. Well, yes. So they're, so they're called pseudo-random numbers. They're not really it, it, random. Yes, exactly. And in fact, a, a, a computer just it can't generate anything random. It's a deterministic math machine that is always going to go from one place to another. There's However, not enough chaos. Compute, yes. And, and in fact, at, at, at Sun Computer, they have photocells aimed at lava lamps. <laughs> Which are I'm random. Not kidding. They are they chaotic. Use they yeah. use lava lamps to generate cryptographically strong random numbers. I love that <laughs> because it's just it's like weather patterns. I mean, yes. it, it, it is it's pure chaotic, chaotic yeah. physics, and and you 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 it is non-deterministic. Now, computers can do a very good job with generating random numbers, and that's what this RC four algorithm does. It is an extremely good pseudo random number generator the idea is you give it a key and that's the encryption key that web uses and using that key it scrambles its initial condition in a in a pattern based on the key from that point on it generates very good random numbers now it then uses this stream of random numbers to, in the same way as a one-time pad, to encrypt 
any communication going between endpoints. The access point has the same key. It's, uh, it, it uses this, this string of random numbers to perform the encryption. And then the, the recipient has, has the same key. It's why it's called a pre-shared key, or PSK. It uses the same key with its RC4 algorithm to generate the, a, an identical stream of these pseudo-random numbers, which it then essentially mixes again in order to restore the original message. Well, it's a good idea, except it was used badly. For example, there was, in the initial implementation, an access point would authenticate someone who wanted to connect with it by sending it a... it would just make up some message of any sort, and it would send it to somebody who wanted to connect. The, 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 the endpoint that wanted to connect would use its key to encrypt that message, whatever it was, it could just be randomness, and send it back. The access point would then decrypt it and compare it with the message it sent. Okay, you know, from an engineering standpoint, that sounds like, you know, a secure thing. Because that was a way for the, the, the machine that wanted to connect to prove that it had the key. Because only if it had the key would it be able to encrypt what the access point sent properly. So that when the access point decrypted it, it would compare properly to what was originally sent. What they forgot was that somebody sniffing would see the in-the-clear text go to the end that wanted to authenticate itself and would see the encrypted response. Well, since it had the in-the-clear text and the response, it had everything it needed to decrypt, uh, uh, basically to, to, to decrypt the encryption and determine trivially what the pseudo-random sequence was that the shared key was generating. So in order to decrypt web, all you need is enough, in, enough information. Well, and in the case of this horrible authentication protocol, which, by the way, has since been removed because it was so bad, you, you literally you just, you did what's called an exclusive OR, an XOR, <laughs> of, the, of the encrypted message and the plain text, the unencrypted message, and what you got out was the stream, the, 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 um, stream of pseudo-random numbers. But how do, that, you, how do you get the unencrypted message, though? Because that's what the access point sent initially oh, to, to say tell hello. the endpoint to encrypt. Oh. <laughs> it's just amazingly so you, dumb. You, so you really only have to get a little data, and you can see the whole. You can dec- you get the key, well, and you're done. Well, what that meant was that then, when the eavesdropper wanted to authenticate, he would say, "Hi there, authenticate me." Well, the access point would send a different test jumble to him. He didn't have to have the key because he already figured out what this, the pseudo-random stream was that resulted from the key. So he just used that to encrypt the message and send it back, and it was a perfect match. And so he's on. And so he's on. Now, that's not the same as being able to communicate from there on, but it turns out that, I mean, that's typical of the mistakes that were made. Web the web technology is so badly broken that given about an hour, 
it's possible to crack it for sure. Sometimes you crack it sooner, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. There are newer attacks which are able to to stimulate the access point to generate much more traffic than it normally would um, in order to get it to give more samples of its use of the key, which then using any freely downloadable software. I mean, there's like... It's like 10 or 15 different web decryption packages now, and people are spitting them out just because it's sort of fun sport. <laughs> so if you're, why, you know, didn't these engineers realize the flaw here? No. And um, why not? The other thing, for example, is, I mean, it's just, it's the more you read about this, and I've studied this extensively, it's, it's like mistake after mistake after mistake. It turns out that because they knew they couldn't use exactly the same key over and over and over, because that would generate exactly the same pseudo-random sequence used for encryption, what they did was they said, okay, we're going to have a 24-bit counter on the front and a 104-bit um, encryption code. That's where this 104 comes from. So, some people have seen a 40-bit key right. or a 104-bit key. Well, if you add, if you add 24 to 40, you get 64, which is one of our favorite binary lengths. If you add 24 to 104, you get 128, which is another one of our nice, you know, binary lengths, 128 bits. That's where this 104 comes from. Is it's it's 128 bits minus 24. So they put a counter on the front of the key, and every time a message is used, the the access point sends the counter and then uses the rest of the 104 bits with the counter to encrypt the message. The problem is, it turns out that that RC4 has weak keys. That is, some percentage of keys don't do a good job of pre-scrambling its initial in uh, its initial state, so that it ends up not generating good random numbers. So every so often, just in the normal use of traffic going over WEP, the you know every access point, every WEP-based device will encrypt with a bad key. Since it, since the receiver has to have that 24 bits to know which key was used, that's sent in the clear. So anything sniffing is able to say, oh, there's a bad key because now bad keys are well known. So anyway, the, the bottom line is WEP is really, really, really badly broken. <laughs> and if they had just asked, any security expert would have immediately seen the problem and said, no, you can't do it that way. Oh, exactly. I mean, anyone who understood that RC4 was a good pseudo-random number generator, but you can't trust it in this application for, for many reasons. For example, if you just throw away the first 256 bytes that it generates, the, after a while it gets going and it does a good job. But right off the bat, what it's spitting out is not very random. Oh. Well, it turns out that's the header of the packets. And headers have a very well-defined format, which means knowing what the headers are is something you know any TCP or IP engineer has. So knowing what it is, you can subtract that from the encrypted message and get the random bytes back. 
I mean, it's just it's just horrible. <laughs> so really, now what we've learned is, uh, and, and we knew this before. WEP doesn't work. Now we know why WEP doesn't work. That's one of the forms of encryption um, on wireless access. Well, points. it's the it's the original encryption. It's it's. In any system which supports wireless encryption, WEP will be there and sort of maybe encouraged. People tend to use it because they may have an older laptop or an older um, wireless adapter that, that only supports WEP. Right. Now there is, and we're going to talk about next week, you know, how to really lock down a wireless system. Um, there is a free WPA client um, running around, and XP supports WPA. As does OS and, 10. So any uh, modern operating system, you'll be able to use WPA, and maybe a firmware upgrade on your router will make it support WPA. Yes, that's very much. That's very often the case. Is that the the original firmware? Now, there. The good news is that WPA is extremely good because WEP was extremely bad. <laughs> we learned. <laughs> that is, what happened is WEP was so badly broken and was such an embarrassment to the, 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 804 to, the 802.11 guys, the, the folks that were doing this, was that this time, for round two, serious security <laughs> oversight was right. given. Right. And the, the, the new protocols, TKIP, which is a was deliberately designed to be retrofitable into older hardware. So with this background now, um, next week we're going to talk about what you do to really be secure with wireless and, and how and why that really works in a very secure fashion. And you can no longer live in a, in a fool's paradise thinking that you're secure because you've got WEP or MAC address filtering or SSID hiding. None of those do anything at all. Yeah, MAC address filtering is good because it will prevent casual, inadvertent misuse as, of your network. As will WEP. Well, yes, and in fact, you certainly, I mean, WEP is better than nothing. And also, if you change your WEP key often, it's, it's normally the case, for example, that it used to be that a busy access point would run through all of its keys in about seven hours. Now it turns out you can stimulate an access point to just pour these keys out and make it much more, you know, basically bring the average cracking time down to about an hour. So we'd have so, to change our keys every hour to be safe? Yeah, well, and the good news is that's what TKIP does. Ah. It's a temporal key integrity protocol that keeps the keys changing, and it never actually uses the master keys in the transfer of the packets. That's the other mistake that WEP made is this pre-shared key, this key that each endpoint has, is what's being used to do the encryption. So once you have that, you've got literally the keys to the kingdom. Right. With WPA, the keys are used to derive other keys, which are then used for encryption. It's just, it's really so much better. We'll save all this for next time. And uh, maybe you'll explain to me WPA, WPA, PSK, WPA, T. KIP and all the other little acronyms. I have to say one thing. WPA is much easier to use than WEP because you don't have to do these long hexadecimal strings for your pass key. You can use regular passwords. So right. by itself, that's a good reason to shift. And by the way, there are attacks. I'll just say, if, if we're moving people to, from WEP over to WPA, 
take the time when you're reconfiguring to come up with a really good long passphrase because WPA is prone to dictionary attacks, which we've talked about before with, with passwords. So in the same way that you want to use a really good strong password, meaning numbers and letters and, and things that are not in a dictionary, even WPA can be prone to dictionary style attacks. Steve Gibson, we've done it again, explaining uh, the uh, the lack of security in wireless. And I think, you know, I have to say, every place I've gone, and I can think of some places, including Tech TV, uh, has used MAC address filtering. To learn that it's useless is just kind of a shocker for me, frankly. And again, you know, as, as we've often said, a false sense of security no is, is worse than none at all. Yeah. People thinking that MAC address filtering is going to really protect them and, like, be better than WEP, for example. And it's a pain is. to implement because you have to figure out what your MAC address is and then take it to the the you know priest, the guy who holds the keys, and say, here it is, please, sir, may I have access? And it's doing nothing! Nothing. I love it. If uh, you want to take this information to your boss or your IT supervisor and explain to him why what he's doing isn't making a hill of beans difference, go to grc.com slash securitynow.htm. And all of this will be explained in detail. There's also a lo-fi 16 kilobit version of this for uh, people who don't have the bandwidth or the space to store a larger file, uh, as well as uh, transcripts for, uh, for, uh, for those bosses who can't actually figure out how to listen to a podcast. We want to thank Jamie Diamond, our high school sophomore, for our opening theme, and uh, Mark Blasco for our closing theme. Of course, the great folks at AOL Radio who uh, broadcast po- uh, Security Now on their podcast channel, but also provide us the bandwidth for download at AOLmusic.com. We appreciate the uh, support. Steve Gibson, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk next week about really, truly, for once and for all, locking down wireless access. Absolutely. Because the web is so huge, it's, you know, 10 billion pages. You just can't go out there looking at every single page. You know, what kind of junk is out there? Zombie machines, hackers, new worms, malicious websites, unknown zero-day exploits. Infecting people's machines with spyware is becoming a business model. Security.